You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Rivers, and I'm one of the leaders here at Bethel, and it is such an honor every time that I get to walk through these doors and be part of the fellowship and the community with this body of believers here at White House. It was just a very short three weeks ago that I had the opportunity to come in here and do what Tony and the praise team did so well this morning. That is lead us all in worship, and I want to continue that. I want to continue in this leading in worship, except in the way of reading and teaching God's Word, being able to preach today. And if you've been around over the past month at Bethel Bible Church at any of our campuses, you know that we have put 1 Corinthians under the microscope. Okay, we have been looking at Paul's letter to the church that he started in Corinth. And it is appropriately titled, Imperfect Church, Perfect Gospel, praise the Lord. Amen. And if you've hung on and you've been listening to Paul's letter and him addressing this church in Corinth, you know that any time that he has had to rebuke or bring up a situation or a problem that is going on in the church, that he, he presents the gospel in response to it. And church, let me just say that this is still our response today. Whatever it is, whatever situation, whatever it is we're dealing with in our personal lives, at home, in our workplaces, with our family, and especially at the church, we are charged to look through the lens of the gospel, to weigh whatever it is comes our way, weigh it up against the gospel, right? And to, to just trust that God is doing a work inside of us, and that he is giving us the desire and the power to do everything that pleases him, as is stated in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. So just a little recap from chapter 4 last week when Pastor Clint was up here. He, he made mention that the church is not a specific leader on display. If any of you remember that, the church is to put the cross on display. And I might add that to say that we as members of the body of Christ, the church, we are called by Jesus Christ to, to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. So like Clint was saying, the church lives the cross. The church lives the cross. And if any specific leader or leaders are call, not, not bringing you to the cross, then you need not follow them. So today's passage, it, it takes a, a turn, <laughs> and it turns pretty quickly. But before we, before we dive into the passage today, I do want to say I got the call from Clint. It's almost a month ago to the day asking me if I would be willing to come and, and preach here at White House. And of course, the answer was absolutely yes. Again, I love being here. Uh, we have ties to our White House family here, my family and I. So it was an absolute Yes, but something's a little different about today in the fact that anytime I've had a chance to preach here, it's always been preacher's choice. Anytime I've had a chance to preach at any of our other campuses or any church for that matter, it's always been preacher's choice. You know, I get to choose what passage that I preach from, but that is not the case 
for today. That's not the case today because we're part of a series. We're looking at 1 Corinthians. So when I'm on the phone with Clint, he says, yeah, Casey, you're going to be preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I was like, yeah, man, yeah, see, that sounds great. And I'm excited. I get off the phone with Clint and I open my Bible up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And the first thing I see that pops up in big, bold letters at the top of chapter 5 is sexual immorality defiles the church. Woo! I text Clint, I said, thank you. Thank you, Clint. And he texted back and he assured me, he said, he said, Casey, I am genuinely going to be out of town that day and I'm not trying to punt a tough subject off to you. But truly, all joking and kidding aside, the more I've had a chance to sit with this and to dive into the passage, it just reminds me of God's word and what it says about God's word from 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for 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 everything that we need profitable for teaching for uh, for correction it's profitable for for training in righteousness that's the reason why we can't punt these tough subjects off. That's the reason why we can't just pick and choose what works for us because God has gave us his word as a whole, not only to benefit us in our life, but ultimately to benefit us as the body of believers, us as the church, as we will see in the passage today. Now, I am not going to title the sermon today, Sexual Immorality Defiles the Church. I would rather look at it in, as something called, What Do We Do? That is the title of the sermon today, What Do We Do? Because we want to see the call for response for the church in Corinth then, how they are to respond to a situation that we're going to see. And then we also want to look at the call for response to us today as a body of believers in the 21st century to what we are going to see today. Uh, so, what do we do? Let's see. Let's dive in. And I'm going to warn you, uh, this first verse is a doozy, okay? We're going to figure out right quick uh, that there is a big issue going on in the church of Corinth that Paul is addressing. So if you have your Bibles or you have your devices, however you wish to read and listen to God's Word today, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and looking first at verse 1, which says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Get this. For a man has his father's wife. Are any of you sweating yet? Any of you kind of shaking about what we're, we're diving into? Because first thing, right off the bat, Paul doesn't take any time to show us and present the problem. What he's trying to address in the church in Corinth. The church is tolerating a very serious account here of very flagrant sexual immorality. And the thing is, church, is no sexual immorality should be overlooked in the church. But not only was this... This, this kind, this case of sexual immorality being overlooked in the church, but it was a type of immorality, as we see in verse 1, that wasn't even tolerated among the pagans, meaning it wasn't acceptable 
to the surrounding culture, to the people of the world, to those who are not Christians. And that should say a lot for what Paul is addressing here. Because as Christians, right, we should never expect unbelievers to act as believers, Is that a right assumption? We should never expect unbelievers to act as believers. But Paul is addressing the church here of this case of sexual immorality of a believer. Of a believer who is having an inappropriate relationship with his father's wife. Now maybe I can ease some minds. I can ease some of your minds as we've read this first verse. To say this, that this this particular case of incestuous affair is believed to be with his stepmom. Everybody feel better about that now? Right? No. This is still a very obvious, horrible thing that is going on that's on display in the church in Corinth. This is prohibited. This is prohibited. They know this is prohibited in Leviticus law. Uh, We see that in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 8. It is also referenced in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. So Paul, right off the bat, he has addressed what is going on. He has addressed the church and what is going on. And now he's going to go back to the church. He's going to address the church and say what they need to do about it. So let's look at that in verse 2. And he says, and you are arrogant, exclamation point. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now listen, the sad part about what we're seeing here, about this shameful situation, is the fact that what is happening does not seem to phase the Corinthians at all. This case does not seem to, and it should. This should spark a response. Because when a body feels something, it should respond to what is going on. And we see that. There is a proper response. If we move just a little further in this letter from Paul to the church in Corinth to, uh, let's see, chapter 12, verse 26. Let's look at that. Verse 26 in chapter 12 of this same letter, it says, If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now that's how the body should work, right? It should yield a response. Whether we're talking about the body of Christ or if we're talking about our physical makeup, our physical bodies. If I'm ever walking along, if you're walking along and I stub my toe, it is going to generate a pain and a shock throughout the rest of my body. It's not just isolated to the one spot. The whole body is going to respond with arms flailing and ow, ow, ow. That's just how, I don't know about you, but that's how I respond to pain when it's going on. But it doesn't seem we're seeing any of that in this situation. There seems to be no pain and no shock in response to what is going on in the church, in this case of sexual immorality. Instead, it's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite, and Paul calls them arrogant. They are being arrogant in their response, or their lack of 
a response. But let's just, just for a second, let's give the church here in Corinth just a little bit of a, of a benefit of the doubt, okay? Because maybe, just maybe their response or lack of is because they are viewing their freedom in Christ wrongly at this point. That maybe they have this mistaken knowledge that somehow, instead of being free from sin, that they are free to sin, that grace may abound, right? Free to sin, that grace may abound. Familiar language probably to you. If you were to turn to Romans chapter 6, not asking you to, but that is familiar language from Paul. You know, are we to sin so that grace may abound? Well, if this is their view of grace, they've got it truly, absolutely wrong. Because this would be an absolute abuse of God's grace. Not at all why, why Jesus came, because grace is meant for, for change. Uh, I, they're not bothered by this. They should be mourning. They should be grieving over what's going on. I don't know if many of you have ever heard of a lady named Tara Lee Cobble, but she has a year-long Bible plan. Maybe some of you are in that right now, but my wife and I went through this. It's called the Bible Recap, where you read the Bible in a year. Uh, but she has a quote uh, and she speaks on grace, and I quote from Terry Lee Cobble. It says this, Grace is an agent of change. It's God's favor on us to help us walk according to His ways. It redirects us away from the works of the flesh and toward the fruit of the Spirit. On the other hand, anything that lets us continue in sin unchecked and carefree isn't grace it is passive wrath and that's exactly what's happening here in the church we're seeing passive wrath a church who is not responding to something in a way that the body should be responding and letting a brother go down a destructive path so because of the fact that it is going unchecked Paul's letter to them he is calling for them to be, for this man to be removed and excluded from the fellowship of the church. But really, what Paul is calling for right here is church discipline. Did I tell y'all this wasn't an easy passage? What Paul is calling here, calling for here is church discipline. Now, when some of you hear that phrase, automatically flags go up and you have this nasty feeling inside. There's a, a negative vibe maybe that's tied to that. Maybe that's for a couple of reasons for people here today or if you're, you're listening. Church discipline. Maybe it's because you've never been a part of church discipline. And so it just feels yuck, right? doesn't feel churchy. I, I, you know, church discipline. Or maybe, maybe it's because you've been a part of church discipline on one side or the other of it and maybe church discipline done wrong. But can I tell you there is absolutely a call for and a purpose behind church discipline. And our very own Dr. Mark Kirkendall, Pastor Mark, I think he said it best in notes that he sent me the, the other day when he said that the goal of church discipline should always be restoration. Amen. Let me say that again. The goal 
of church discipline should always be restoration. Restoration to the fallen, back into the fall, back into fellowship with the church, in fellowship with God. So at this time, though, the church in Corinth was the church in Corinth. That's it. There was no turning left or, or right. I mean, when people responded to the gospel back then, they began their part uh, of that city's Christian community. And then oftentimes, they had to leave a community of a, a fellowship somewhere else. So it was a major commitment in this time to belong to a church. A major commitment. It was, so, so being excluded, being excluded was a major deal. It's not like in our day and time where all we have to do is turn right instead of left. If this place over here doesn't like what we're doing, well, we'll leave that fellowship and that community. If they're going to exclude us, then I'll go to first or second or third Baptist down the road here because we have a church on every corner and maybe the phone call won't catch up with us. And all the, But that's not the case. That's not the case for the church in Corinth. In that day and time, being excluded from the church was making you a nomad. Being excluded from the church was making you a nomad. And you had no fellowship. No fellowship. So Paul We'll describe this in more detail when we look at verses 3 through 5. Where he says this, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Wow. That is heavy. That, if I, if I can just be honest... That doesn't feel churchy, right? That doesn't feel warm. That doesn't feel in, inviting. So can we unpack it? Can we unpack that just a little, here, little bit here? Here we see that the church, Paul is saying, the church is to come together. And when they come together, Paul is going to be in them, with them in spirit. And they are to act on the name and the power and the authority of Jesus on this tough and major issue. But verse 5. Verse 5 sounds so harsh. It sounds so harsh. Where's the love? Where's the grace? Where's the mercy? Aren't we all sinners? Right? I mean, do we really have to pass judgment on a brother or sister in this situation? Can't we just maintain the relationship in this situation and continue warning them that they need to repent? You need to repent. You need to turn away from this sin. Can't we just take them to lunch? Can't we do something other than what Paul is saying? Hold on to that. Hold on to that feeling right there because there are some, a couple of things that we need to look at before we move further in the text. First of all, let me say this. Paul is not saying that if someone is found in a persistent sinful behavior, habitual sin, he is not saying to automatically kick them out of the church. 
That is not at all what he is saying. It shouldn't be something like this. Hey, have y'all seen what Henrietta's been up to? Somebody better get Satan on the line and tell him we're sending another one his way. That is not what we're called to do. We're not just supposed to jump right to it. Boom, guilty, you're out. That's not what it's saying. I can say this with confidence because this is not the only place in the text in 1 Corinthians that speaks of church discipline. There are other places in God's word where it speaks on church discipline. And can I tell you, when you find multiple areas in God's word where it speaks on the same subject, God's word will not contradict itself. It will never contradict itself. It will never return void. And there is always purpose and truth that is clear behind God's word. And I want us to look at another area of the Bible in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17 that speaks on church discipline. And it should be up on your screen up there starting with verse 15. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to take, if he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Can you see the grace and the mercy and the patience and the steps taken to find a brother who is in persistent sin to approach them? Many chances. I mean, one-on-one. -on -one. Then take two or three witnesses. If that wasn't, doesn't work, take it to the church. If they're not going to listen to the church, then... Let, it be, let them be as a Gentile or a tax collector to you. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, spirit of gentleness, mercy, grace. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be so quick to pick up rocks to throw at somebody else with the fear of rocks coming my way and hitting my glass house. And it's shattering to pieces. But here's the problem with the church in Corinth right now is that's not their approach at all. They're not doing any of these things. They are not going to a brother one-on-one. -on -one. They're not bringing in witnesses. They're not taking it before the church. So because of this, because this is going unchecked and they are boastful in their ways, they are arrogant, Paul is calling for a more extreme approach right here. So this is why. This is why this man is being turned over to Satan. In this case of church discipline, this is why this man is being turned over to Satan. Not because God is finished with him, but because he is God's. That is the length that God goes for you and I. 
Not because God is finished with him, but because he is God's. So Paul turns back now. He turns back to the church who had it all wrong for ignoring this man's sins. And I want us to look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and pick up again at verse 6 where it says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So right here, Paul addresses their arrogance and he's calling out their boasting in this situation. He points out that this is not good. He paints this picture of a bad recipe, right? Any of you ladies or men in here uh, had all the right ingredients, but you get that one bad thing that ends up going in there and it just kind of ruins the the whole thing. And that's what he's saying. This picture of a bad recipe, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So what does that mean? What does that mean when we read that and we think of that for ourselves today? What it means is our choices not only affect us, but they affect everyone, everyone around us. You know, every major forest fire, and you've seen them on TV, especially over in California and these places, every major forest fire, for the most part, every one of those started with one little fart. (laughs) Spark. Can we erase that, please? You say something and it's recorded and it sticks with you forever. Thank you for loving me. Okay, here we go. Every major forest fire starts with a little spark, whether intentional or unintentional. But listen, friends, this sort of church discipline is also about the health of the church. It's about the health of the church because, listen, our sin, it doesn't just affect us, okay? It, it affects our wives. It, aspect, it affects our husband. It affects our kids. It affects our coworkers, our family, our friends. It, is, it affects the church, the body of believers that we are tied to. It affects everyone. It spreads. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So what is Paul calling to do what, what do we do about this, this bad recipe? Verses 7 through 8. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here are some very important, very important points that I want us to take from what we just read in verses 7 to 8 that point to justification and sanctification for the believer to be justified right here. God gives us every bit, my friends, of assurance to know what the verse says right here, that we really are unleavened, that we really are justified as stated there in 7. 
We see it all throughout Scripture of what kind of assurance we have as believers. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13 says this, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And this is the part of this little clump of scripture that I just cling to. It is my assurance. It is your assurance to know that you are justified and that will never change because Paul goes on to say right there, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. Everybody say no. That you may know, not second guess, not be wondering what's going to happen, that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know that our position, our position in Christ will absolutely never change because of the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, while our position never changes, there is something that all of us are going through, a process of sanctification Right In our lives where we, as new believers in Christ, we are sipping on the spiritual milk. But that's not where we're meant to stay. We go through this life and its experiences and the things that are thrown our way, the good and the bad things, so that we don't stay on the pacifier. But God is calling us to greater and bigger things in a realization of who we are so that we are chewing on nutritionally dense spiritual food, the steak, Right? To chew on the stake, moving from, from being an infant in Christ to this mature, it's a process of sanctification so that we are made more and more into this beautiful image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And through this process of sanctification, Paul is urging them to clean out the old leaven so that they may be a new lump. Now, Paul, then he goes on to clear up a misunderstanding or a misapplication from his, his previous letter. And we're going to see that in verses 9 through 10. Let's look at that together. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So there was a misunderstanding of Paul's previous letter, which, by the way, we don't have that. We don't have that letter about them associating with sexual immoral people. They were trying, though, to separate themselves, separate themselves from the world, the secular society, those outside of the church. But listen, they couldn't do that then, just like you and I cannot do that now. Why? Because while we are not of this world, we are in this world and all of its brokenness. This is where we are at. This is the fall of man. This is where we are called to right now in this time of eternity, in our time with Christ. So Paul clears it up right here. Verse 11. Verse 11 says this, but now... I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. 
If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So Paul is warning them not to associate with the unrepentant sinner. When he's saying that, he's not pointing to the outside. He's looking in. He's saying, the church, I'm talking to you. He's referring to those unrepentant sinners in the church. He's referring to those in the church who have competing identities of one or more of the things that we mentioned. We're not just talking about sexual immorality here. That is what brought the letter, right? But we're talking about these things, these unrepented sins of, of believers, men and, women, men and women, believers in the church who find themselves here. But they, they took Paul's warning to me that they just separate themselves from the world. But listen, church, we can't do that. After all, the world or the people of the world, they are the goal. The people of the world are the goal. They are the ones that we are called to reach. They're the ones that the Holy Spirit has empowered us to go and be his vessel to reach a people that will be drawn to him so that they too may have fellowship with you and I. So Paul then, he makes his last point. And because not only were they trying to separate themselves from the church, they were also trying to stand in judgment. I mean, not with, they were trying to separate themselves from the world, but also they were trying to stand in judgment of the world, those from the outside. So let's look at the last couple of verses, of the 13 verses that we have covered today in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 12 says this, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. Paul says it's not the believer's job nor his call, nor their call to judge those outside the church. And friends, we need to be careful that we do not expect unbelievers to act like believers. We cannot, should not expect people that do not know Jesus to follow him like we do. We cannot and should not expect people to be controlled by the Holy Spirit when they do not have him. God alone judges them, not us. So how do we take this? What do we do? How do we take and apply this, what we've heard today of a situation of sexual immorality in the, in the church, how Paul says to do this, what do we do? Because we are called to do something when the church is sick. When the church is sick, we are called to do something. And Paul makes it very clear that this type of church discipline is necessary that this type of church discipline is necessary. It's necessary not only for the health of the brother or sister who is committing this sin, but it's also ultimately for the health of the body of believers in which they are tied to. But always, I'll say it again, but always with the aim 
of reconciliation. Always. But this is also titled, What Do We Do? Because there are things that we can be doing and should be doing to lead lives, their examples to imitate, so that the probability of having to use this type of church discipline is greatly reduced. What if? What if we lived in a light and in a way of following Jesus so that here at Bethel Bible Church, you never have to experience this type of church discipline. You never have to see a brother go down a path of destruction like that. How do we do that? How do we live that kind of way? By doing this, just like Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You know, one thing that I know about Bethel Bible Church is they, they take serious about building leaders, making leaders. I can say that I'm a product of, of men and women who are mature in their faith at Bethel Bible Church who took the time to allow me to be able to be used by God in the way that he uses me today. There are men and women at White House campus who are mature in their faith, who know how to read the word of God and to teach it to others who pray without ceasing, who are servant leaders. Can I say, watch them, mimic them, imitate their faith. And if you are them, if you are mature in your faith, grab a hold of that person who is weaker in their faith. Grab a hold of them, teach them, pray over them, build one another, another up. This is how we have a healthy church. This is what we can do as well. But let's get, guess what? Young people, I need your ears because you are not left out. Let me tell you what you have. Young people, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you have the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I'll say this, there is no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. God does not hand the gift of the Spirit with its powers diluted down. Okay, you have the power in you to go into your schools, to go into your homes. If your parents aren't believers, if your siblings aren't believers, to go into your community and make a difference for the kingdom to bring others to Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, top to bottom, young and old. This is what we are to, are to do, to love each other in such a way that when those from the outside are looking in and they see us, there is no denying that we are disciples and followers of Jesus. This benefits them, those who are, who are outside the church, unbelievers. This benefits us, the way we love each other in the building up of the church. This is what we do. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.